Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and I want to thank you for joining me for this week's continuation of our deep dive into America's sweetheart spirit, bourbon. Since this is a two-part episode, I do recommend that you listen to last week's first, since in that episode we cover a lot of history, key terms, and some important label claims. So download that and give it a listen or head on over to modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast and look for episode 50 where you can stream it right from the show notes page and review some important highlights. In this episode, Capitol Hill resident bourbon expert Jordan Wicker and I dig into the flavor profiles of five different bourbons, all with differing proofs and mash bills, and we offer some of our favorite bourbon cocktail recipes for you to try as you build out your own collection. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't still give you an opportunity before the interview to make yourself a drink. That's right, this week's featured cocktail is the Toronto Cocktail. Now, the official recipe for the Toronto Cocktail actually involves Canadian whiskey, which makes sense. But there are a ton of versions of this cocktail that call for bourbon instead. So... What I'll do is I'll give you both versions and you can decide which sounds more appealing, which matches your flavor preferences more closely. The original Toronto cocktail recipe calls for two ounces of Canadian whiskey, a quarter ounce of Fernet, which is an extremely bitter Alpine liqueur from Italy, a quarter ounce of simple syrup, several dashes of aromatic bitters, and an expressed orange peel garnish. And this is a boozy drink served on the rock. So you want to combine all those ingredients in a mixing glass with ice, stir for about 20 seconds or until it's properly chilled and diluted, and then strain into your rocks glass and express your orange peel garnish. Now, in my research, I also came across what's being billed as the new Toronto cocktail. And this recipe involves one and a half ounces of bourbon, so slightly less, a half ounce of sweet vermouth, a quarter ounce of honey syrup, a single bar spoon of Fernet, which is a little bit less than a quarter ounce, more more like an eighth of an ounce, and then that same expressed orange peel garnish. Personally, that second version sounds like a lot of work. Uh, it's getting kind of closer to a Manhattan or a, a black Manhattan recipe with that sweet vermouth in there, and it sort of de-emphasizes the whole point of the cocktail, which is, in essence, hey, stick some Fernet in your old-fashioned. Yeah, you like that, don't you? I don't think the honey syrup or the sweet vermouth really add much in the new recipe, but I do think it's 100% okay to sub out the Canadian whiskey for bourbon. And in fact, that's the way you'll see the Toronto cocktail served in many of the best cocktail bars, partially because excellent Canadian whiskey still isn't as commercially available compared to the cheaper versions of it, which sometimes don't make a great cocktail. The beauty of the Toronto cocktail is that it's a really great way to start easing your way into Fernet without blasting yourself in the face with that bitterness. You've still got the familiar old-fashioned as your constant, 
The only thing that's different is you're adding a little flair and a little bitterness. If you find that even a quarter ounce of fernet is too much, all you gotta do is back down to a bar spoon and then you can start to work your way up from there as you get more accustomed to that flavor. I find that depending on what bourbon you use for the Toronto cocktail, the mint notes in the Fernet actually make it a slightly more refreshing take on the old fashioned, which usually isn't a criterion we associate with that particular cocktail. So a little added bonus there. And now that you're plotting your next Toronto cocktail, let's jump in to this really fun bourbon tasting. Just a reminder that you can find over a hundred podcast episodes featuring Jordan Wicker and his co-host Alex Luboff by searching for the Speaking Easy podcast wherever you go to download podcasts. We have links to a couple of excellent bourbon-related episodes by them in the show notes page for last week's episode, episode 50. But they don't stop at bourbon. They cover all kinds of fun cocktail-related topics, so be sure to give them a listen as well. And with that, I hope you enjoy this thoughtful and slightly tipsy bourbon tasting with bourbon aficionado, Jordan Wicker. So that's a really good rundown of label claims. Uh, we've, we've done a really good job on the history and kind of the, uh, the place that bourbon has in American culture. I want to hit some cocktails, but I think what we can do is we can kind of taste our way through. And as we taste, let's, let's do an initial tasting and then... Do a cocktail, taste cocktail, okay. taste cocktail. Does that sound good? All right. Yeah. Cool. So what we're doing here, folks, is I'm going to just read off what we've got on the table, and uh, I'll take a picture before I leave here so we've got them all lined up. But we've got four roses, small batch, and what we're doing is we're going in ascending proof, basically. So we've got the small batch, which is, it looks like 45% alcohol, and uh, so that's 90 proof. Then we've got a bottle of Larceny bourbon, which I'd never had before, so I picked that up. And that's 92 proof, that's a straight bourbon whiskey. Then we've got the Elijah Craig small batch. It's got the 12 year age statement on it. That's 94 proof, 47% alcohol. And then we do a pretty significant jump. We've got the last two are the Four Roses single barrel. That's a 50% alcohol by volume. It does not say bottled in bond but it is 50% alcohol on the um, on the label there. And then we've got, finally, at the end, the big, the big bruiser here. We've got Maker's Mark Cask Strength, and that is 111.6 proof or 55.8% alcohol by volume. So we're going to do that, and uh, let's start off with the Four Roses small batch here. Perfect. So we do know that Four Roses, both of us know it. We both like it. I think yeah. it's, a co- it's a cocktail person's bourbon so, for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, it's one of my favorites. It's actually been a while since I've had a bottle on my bar, so I'm glad I had this excuse to, to get another one. So take us, take us through, how do, you, how do you taste bourbon? Okay, so that's, uh, this has actually come up recently, and I've been made fun of. We're, we're, we're drinking out of... Glen Claren or Glen Claren like glasses. Those are like the quintessential iconic uh, whiskey glasses. They've they got have, a, like a tulipy shape. Yeah, tulip, tulipy shape. And what they have is that the, the the kind of bulb at the bottom that holds the whiskey, yeah. and then it has a narrower top to it. So what's that? What that does is it concentrates um, the aroma and the uh, alcohol vapor and, and the alcohol vapor. Incidentally, and so you 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 want to you want to approach it carefully because again you're gonna stick. 
if you if you stick your nose right in there like you do a, a wine, you're gonna you're gonna burn all the the aroma receptors in your nose in a way that it's gonna make it hard to distinguish a lot of stuff. So uh, I've been made fun of a couple times recently for this, but it is it is legitimate good advice, and that is when you smell whiskey, you want it close to your nose, but not not in your nose in the glass, and you want your mouth open. You're gonna be a mouth breather for this. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And, and and I'm sorry for for those of you who who understand the derogatory nature of that comment. But what it does is, if you're breathing in and out of your mouth, you're not like sucking in all that alcohol vapor. Right. And and what you're doing is allowing the this more subtle notes to reach your nose and reach the receptors in your brain to actually recognize them. Right. Um. So I'm thinking of. Uh, is it uh? It's uh, sideways with Paul Giamatti, um, uh-huh. where like he, I mean, he's teaching his friend how to how to drink wine, but he shoves his nose about as uh, about, uh, basically down to the bottom of the glass, and he spends like two minutes there. That's that's not necessary. Yeah. Again, I like to be anywhere from an inch to a half inch uh, away from the glass, and mm. uh, kind of tip towards me, and I like to have my mouth open, <laughs> and. Um, well, that, if you don't, you, you're, if you're uncomfortable with your mouth open because you feel like a fish or you feel like a dolt, um, what I'd say is at least open it enough where you're like kind of smiling because you still want the you still want the air flowing in and out of your mouth and not your nose. Right. Well, um, and another thing, I mean, this this actually is very very appropriate time wise because a couple episodes we launched a, an episode about how to properly taste spirits and yeah. cocktails and. So the the mouth is the retronasal root versus mm. the the nose being the orthonasal root. So both of there's receptors both ways, and mm. and you know that's so. The, so a lot of times when you look up tasting notes for whiskey, too, it'll be broken down into uh, the nose, um, the mouth, and the finish. And yeah, and uh, and so what they're I mean the nose is specifically that it's before it's touched your lips, it's before it's touched your tongue. It's what you smell. So what are you getting on this one? So on this one, this is the... Uh, the Four Roses Small Batch. I should make you... I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah. You should just do no, blind. No, no, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> doing blind. I, I might be able to taste blind occasionally, but I can't... I don't think I can do it on nose. So for me... The Small Batch has... Again, there's a... There's kind of like this constant note of vanilla at the bottom that just kind of runs throughout, and 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 then I get f- the w- thing that I think is unique or not unique but uh, augmented in, in the small batches uh, a fairly distinct honey note. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I almost get like a, a faint cherry mm-hmm. or oats. Like I've got I got like I get like sweet oats and cherry on it. So that yeah, sweet oats is is excellent. Um, I and again I say excellent just because I match with it. If you smell something or taste something different than me, that's that's completely normal. That's not a that's not a judgment. That's just uh, completely normal. We have different palates. We know that. Right. And uh, one of the things that I still struggle with is having the vocabulary to describe some of the things that I smell or taste uh, in a whiskey or in a wine. I uh, I mentioned it early on. I pick my mom's brain all the time because part of it's sometimes I do have the palate to make those distinctions. I don't have the words to describe them. Right, right, right. Um, and that's nothing to be embarrassed about either. That takes a lot of time nerding out about it. I really don't get, I I know the cherry note that you're you're smelling because I taste it on the, the mouth, but I okay. don't, but I don't get it on, 
I miss that on the nose. I, you do get a lot of fruitiness in this. Um, there's a, and that's uh, not not so much on the nose, but uh, for me, um, tasting it, you you do get you get the the dark cherry, and you get, uh, I think it's actually a fairly mild citrus, and but you also get um, uh, apricot and uh, I'm just getting that now. Some some other stone fruit uh, kind of flavors, and and then. And then I think it, it finishes with some, again, it, that that vanilla or that honey note that runs throughout, then it finishes with that, and then you have brown sugar. Mm. Um, uh, I, I don't really get to, uh, you get some of that toastiness. Um, I, I wouldn't say, it doesn't get to burnt sugar or anything like that. And some of these, some of these I, I know for a fact that we will taste burnt sugar in. Cool. But... Uh, one thing that I've, uh, this is just going to be me gushing about uh, my mom again, so she'll have to listen to this episode, but the last, the last time I tasted with her through a bunch of different stuff, stuff that was new to both of us, she was tasting the barrel in all of them and she knew which cooperage, oh, yeah. the, <laughs> she knew which cooperage, uh, the stuff had been aged in. So, and there's only a handful of cooperages out there really that that do this in some places bear um cooperage uh for themselves some big guys but there's there's zach and calvin and um independent stave independent stave's a big one yeah, um, big. and they have they have locations in kentucky and in missouri and that sort of thing but she's gotten to the point where she's she's tasting the nuance and the finished barrel out of the whiskey and i'm like that's that's, that's a next that, level. That's that. That's a goal that I will continue to practice so that I can achieve. Because right. that's that's something else. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. And for folks listening, if you want to learn more about barrels and aging, check out our episode with Alice Blaine Allard of Free State Cooperage in Maryland. Mm. Uh, right, it's a really yeah. fun episode that we did with her. So learn more about barrels and aging there. But uh, all right, so we got small roses or uh, yeah, small roses. <laughs> they, I'm looking at it. It's, there's small roses on the label. We got four roses, small batch, and. And um, so kind of vanilla note running throughout. We've got a little bit of fruit on the nose and on the palate. And then as it finishes, it gets a little bit darker, a little bit sweeter. Mm -hmm. It's a really mellow finish. I really Mm -hmm. like it. Yeah. Very sippable. Like you mentioned, let's do a cocktail. All right. So if, if I'm pairing something that tastes like this and I had, didn't really start thinking about that until about two seconds ago, I, I really like this whiskey for a Manhattan. I really like this bourbon for a Manhattan. I like fairly strong Manhattans, and I think that I tend to stay away from lighter flavored uh, sweet vermouths. But with this one, if you if you have if you do have Dolan uh, sitting around, uh, I, I think it would pair well together. Um, Right. And there's that little cherry note in the bourbon, which is, you know, kind of like suggestive of the brandied cherry. Whether you mm-hmm. have a brandied cherry at home to put in your Manhattan or yeah. not, it's still suggestive of that. Yeah. And I, I do agree, like, if you were to say, you know, like, uh, put some puntamez in this, I don't know if I would do that yeah. because I feel like that would overshadow the some of the fruity stuff yeah. in the bourbon. Uh, and then, my, I mean, my this is not the vermouth episode, but my go-to vermouth is uh, Carpano uh, Antico. And, and I think that that goes well in any, in any Manhattan, so um, that would right. be a, that'd be another suggestion there. And and bourbon is not the traditional spirit for the Manhattan. The traditional spirit is rye. Yep. But again, like so, one of the things that we found in this episode talking about the history is that bourbon is the replacement 
spirit in a lot of these. And it, it is. And again, it's, it is still American whiskey. It's still the aging process. All of those components are generally fairly similar. They will be different cocktails. Uh, I mean, if you For make sure. a, if you make a rye Manhattan versus a bourbon Manhattan, you will get a different drink. But I, and I, I drink a rye Manhattan as well. Um, I, I do think that, again, this is just above 90 or at 90, it's it's at 90, 90, exactly. Yep. Um, I, I wouldn't make me personally, I wouldn't make a Manhattan with something less than 90. Yeah. Uh, so you have like Basil Hayden's at 80 and a bunch of other stuff in the 80 to 90 category on the bourbon. And 80 is, uh, the lowest, um, that you can bottle uh, a bourbon at. Right. And I just don't think they hold the. I don't think cock. I don't think cocktails are best served at the lowest uh, at the lowest level that the alcohol provides. And and particularly, I'm, I'm again, I'm a big whiskey drinker, so I, I like that to be a robust flavor that comes from that alcohol. But uh, but yeah, I think that I think that if you get above ninety, a, a bourbon does a lot of the similar things that rye does, and it also will provide a little bit of. It'll be a slightly sweeter cocktail than uh, a rye, particularly a high rye. But um, again, I, there's difference there, but uh, difference is good. Yeah, difference. We're not. It's qualitative. Yeah, it's yeah, not. It's, qua- yeah, we're yeah, not ranking yeah, this. Yeah, no, bourbon I, Manhattan I, I think, is just as good. I mean, in all fairness, I think that if I had to pick rye or bourbon for my Manhattan for the end of time, uh, it'd probably be a rye. But <laughs> but uh, again, uh, I'll certainly make a, a bourbon Manhattan at least once a week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like kind of like when you like your stepdad. It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's technically like it's not the original, but it's like, all right. Um, so cool. So we've got a Manhattan. We've got four rows of small batch. Let's take just a baby step up in proof, just half a percent or no, one full percent to 92. We're going to do the Larceny. And this is Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, very special small batch. Uh, reminds me of NCIS very special agent Anthony Dinozo. And this says distilled and bottled by Old Fitzgerald Distillery, Bardstown, Kentucky, mm-hmm. for triple zero four palindrome of zip code. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, another uh, contract yeah. distillation. Yeah, so this is. I had a little bit of this earlier. So you were s- sipping on the small I, batch, I, I was so. sipping on a little bit of this earlier. And yeah, mm, just getting the nose of it here. It's definitely, it, it's immediately different. And actually, if you hold them up, it, it looks a little darker in color than the small batch. Yeah, they're actually very similar in color, but there is, a, there's, a, yeah, it's slightly darker. But actually, that's one thing we didn't vary significantly. And there's less variation. I think in bourbon and its color than than most things, unless you get again straight whiskey means that it, it color can't be added, so all that color is coming from the barrel. If it's not straight, sometimes color is added with those bullion cubes. Well, I don't, I don't or think, something I don't, or something like yeah, it. Yeah, I think that these days it's with food coloring. But um, yeah, no, that's that's one thing that I think is also something that people don't realize if they've never been to a distillery is bourbon like rye comes off the still clear like water or it should be. (laughs) Um, and and then it's, it's the, it's the aging process. It's the char on the barrel. It's the barrel itself that that give it the, the caramely, uh, golden rays of sunshine color. Right. 
So I'm getting more cereal notes on this. When I say cereal, uh, you know, I'm talking about the grains mm-hmm. used to distill it. Uh, you're not going to see a ton of bourbons talking about their mash bill, are you? No, they're not. Su- well, yeah, they're, you're, they're not going to have it on the label very often. Right. Actually, Four Roses publishes all of their mash bills. Yeah, they're, um, they're great like that. And, and they're great like that. And then if you ask most distilleries, they, they don't hide it. Um, some of them will tell you the mix of grains and not the percentages, but a lot of them will just tell you the percent. A lot of them will just tell you the percentages. Um, uh, there's very some folks will say it's a trade secret or something like that, but for the most part, the mash bill. Somebody could take the same mash bill you have and create a completely different whiskey with it. Right. There's so a lot of other factors. There's there's plenty of other factors in it. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're I mean, it's one component. So if you have something con- incredibly novel, maybe maybe it's worth hiding. But yeah, I at least like to know that they're going to tell me uh, the the grains that are in it. If it's a, a four grain, is fairly uncommon. Um, so mm-hmm. typically speaking, bourbon is obviously majority corn. Mm-hmm. Typically, there's some rye, rye and, and or wheat, and, and or wheat, and then occasionally there's there's barley. And some of these. So some of them will have no wheat. Um, some of them will have very. A lot of times you'll see a, wheat, a weeded bourbon is another term you'll see. Mm-hmm. A weeded bourbon generally means that there's there's more wheat than there is rye, or there's right, or there's only wheat. And we have and we one have one of those on the table. Ma- right? make, Makers is actually uh, obviously a, a incredibly popular bourbon, and yep. it has no rye in it. It, yep. it has it has wheat. But three three grain mash bills are fairly common. So corn on all of them, wheat and rye tend to inter- interchange, and barley is occasionally in some of them. Um, yeah. So rarely do you see all four playing. Rarely together. do you see all four playing together. There are there are examples out there. There um, uh, just had one last night. Wiggle out of uh, out of Pittsburgh has a four grain, and a lot of times if you have a four grain bourbon or other whiskey, they will they'll be proud of that and they'll put that on the label. They'll put that in the marketing. They'll say it's a sure. four grain because yeah. it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a novelty thing. And yeah. again, doesn't indicate quality. It probably does indicate something about the flavor profile. It probably um, also indicates something about the I, size of the batch because yeah. that's never going to be a massive, it's never going to be no. like a, a keystone product for mm-hmm. someone. I don't think so. Unless they're very small. Yeah. Right. I don't, yeah, I think that'd be right. And, trying to think of a big producer that has a four grain. So what are you getting on the larceny here? I get the cereal notes. Um, I, I feel like there's probably a decent amount of rye in here. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's definitely, there's, there's spice on the front end for me. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, more uh, cinnamon and clove. Yeah. I get like um, a very like, like almost like clove in the distance. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'd say people call that baking spice, right? In many cases, yeah, people, um, that's a very, I've j- used, I've used baking spice before as a term when I'm not exactly sure what combination of spices or what spices in particular sure. that I, I'm smelling. And it reminds me of cookies or something like that. I'm sure. like, that's, that's baking spice. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think it's that mix of like cinnamon, clove, maybe a little nutmeg and or ma- ginger, may- maybe some ginger, yeah, nutmeg. 
a lot of times nutmeg gets called out on its own but again i usually use baking spice when i'm not exactly sure which spices i'm smelling yeah, um, it's, it's a bit of a cop-out term um, admittedly i think it's legitimate and you'll see it in a lot of tasting notes so i don't want to say that it's not a real thing it is a real thing because i've smelled it before and a lot of other people do too i and i'm not going to say that it's a lack of nuance I think that there are times where you can't distinguish sure. the notes. Uh, Some is greater than because, or, yeah, because it's not like there's clove floating around in the barrel. Uh, it's not like there's cinnamon floating around in the barrel. So what you're what you're smelling is the as if cinnamon, as if clove were right, floating right, right. around in the barrel. And so I, I can I can understand at times it's going to be as if some mixture of spices was floating around, and it's going to be really hard to. Pick to them pull out, out which ones for sure. Uh, on the on the palette for for the Larceny, I it's much darker than the Four Roses, and and I don't notice the alcohol as much. So it's technically a little bit more boozy. Mm-hmm. It's ninety two proof as opposed to ninety, mm-hmm. and uh, so I don't actually get the booze, and I, I don't get the fruit. This yeah. is my, I get like the cereal throughout. You know, so if the vanilla was the backbone of the of the small batch, I think the the cereal, the rye. And a little bit of that baking spice is the backbone. Yeah, I uh, again, I get the the spices are, are are strong throughout here. I get a little bit of brown sugar, kind of towards the tail end, and I get uh, a lot of dry, like dry citrus peel. Uh, so mm. particularly orange, but yeah. And I, again, we're getting in, into the territory of coming across as like uh, pretentious wine drinkers, but. Um, <laughs> Again, it's it's uh, it's just drinking a lot and pulling out nuance and then trying to come up with the words to describe it. Well, and honestly, the reason why we're doing this, too, is like, you know, if you're sitting out there listening on your commute or at your desk or on your run, like, listen, like, do you think you could get like a group of your friends to get together and do this with you? Like, probably mm-hmm. not. So, you know, maybe this is not the most stimulating or, or, or like you, because you can't see the bottles and mm-hmm. smell what we're smelling and taste what we're tasting. It might not be as, as genuine, but hopefully what you're getting from this is like the way to have a conversation about flavor with people. Mm-hmm. So that when you do get that opportunity, then you can kind of like, you know, feel more confident about it, I guess. That's mm-hmm. why we're, you know, we, we like to do this. Yeah, I, I'm going to boldly say, not, not 100% sure that I'm accurately describing what I'm tasting, but I I also think I get plum. I think I get plum on this at the tail end. Like a plum skin? Yeah, like a plum skin. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, there's a little not, bit not of like, a... Not like, the, not, not like the meat of the fruit, but yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, a little astringency in there. Yeah. I think you get a little bit of astringency when you when you like chew on the skin of the plum. Um, so what, what would you make with this? Like, do you have a cocktail picked out for this? If you don't, I kind of have a, have a couple. If you have one specifically picked out for this, I'd, I'll let you take it. I, I'm thinking a Boulevardier would be really nice with this. Yeah. Um, you know, especially cause you were, you know, hinting at that, you know, little dried orange peel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for folks out there, the Boulevardier, if, if you're not familiar with it, it's the, um, it's the whiskey version of the Negroni. So it's a perfect ratio. It's a one-to-one-to-one ratio of spirit, in this case bourbon, to Campari, which is the bitter Italian aperitivo, and sweet vermouth. So again, uh, as always, the sweet vermouth is kind of up in the air. It's what you got. For this, I might like a nice Carpano Antica um, because it's going to 
balance out some of those cereal and malty and mm-hmm. spicy notes that we get and actually also play up the orange in there, yeah, which, I, I, which I think could bear to be played up. A bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And then I'd also say, I'd say, uh, unlike the, the Manhattan, I'd, I'd put Punta Mez in, in there as well, but, but dealer's choice. Yeah. Um, it's what you, you have. You, you do. You certainly don't need three bottles of sweet vermouth uh, sitting open in your fridge because you're trying to match it to cocktails all the time. Though, honestly, the way I do it is Dolan is my warm weather vermouth, Carpano Antica is my transition weather vermouth, and Punta Mez is my cold weather mm. vermouth. Because Punta Mez is dark, assertive, a little bit brooding. Carpano yeah. Antica <laughs> is just like spring and fall are my two favorite seasons. And so it's nice to have just this immaculate product there and pay a little bit more for it. And then in the summer, when, if I'm making a dark drink, I'd like it to be a little bit lighter. You know, that's, that's a really great role for the Dolan to play. Mm. I almost never buy Dolan, uh, sweet vermouth. I buy the dry stuff all the time. It's actually my go-to dry, uh, vermouth. It's yeah. really good. Uh, right now I have Cokie in, uh, in, in the fridge. That's another thing. I, this is general notes for another show, but you know, I always keep my vermouth after opened, uh, refrigerated. Yes. Um, and I try to drink it inside of three weeks. I think but that, I think that should go that on our 10, no, it probably goes on some 10 commandments of cocktails <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> it's a, it's a wine base and, um, and it's not high proof. So it does like a vinegar, um, go bad. So we've got, so far we've talked about a nice bourbon Manhattan. We've talked about a Boulevardier, which is a great drink to be able to batch as well. Before we move on here, we're, we're pouring the Elijah Craig small batch. But one note I will make about the Boulevardier is that, man, if you are entertaining and you've got yourself a bottle of bourbon, a bottle of Campari, and a bottle of sweet vermouth, man, you can entertain. Like, you could literally dump all three of those bottles completely in one pitcher and then add, you know, do the math, figure out what 20% dilution is to that. Yeah. Take your gallon right we already told you to go out and buy your your uh distilled water if you add if you do the math and figure out what 20 percent of that total volume is add that amount of water to it in a pitcher and then add like you know a bunch of bitters you know what bitters to taste almost Mm. you can kind of add those to taste a splash at a time as you're stirring it together and then sit that in the fridge it's as if you've shaken or stirred that cocktail, mm-hmm. but you did it the morning before, and then when your friends arrive, you have a pitcher of Boulevardiers, yep. and that's freaking fantastic. Yeah, you're a hero. That's no, le- that's, that's legitimate hero. No, it's those are those are good tricks of the trade. Because uh, again, after you've thrown so many cocktail parties, you realize that you don't want to mix every uh, Boulevardier by hand. Um, right, and. And also being able to start somebody, uh, if, especially if you're having a small group of folks over, it's really great to have at least a bottle cocktail then to start everybody off with, because then there's no, there's no immediate slowdown, there's no immediate bottleneck. You you can go from that cocktail, and then again, if you've batched everything, like say, say you're having a nice dinner for a handful of friends, like it's great to start them with something light um, and maybe effervescent. Uh, before everybody sits down, uh, I, I love to go with a French 75 or something like that or a spritz sure. and then something a little bit more boozy, but, um, dangerously boozy. So something that's got a decent amount of complexity of flavor that kind of masks, uh, the booziness of it, uh, when you're getting into the entree and, 
there's any number of drinks that that'll do that i like i like trinity cocktails um mm-hmm. and uh, both the actual cocktail trinity and then um but anything that's equal parts or, or something like that sure and then and then you get into the the end of the meal the dessert cocktail and uh, that's where i say ratchet it up the the booziness and make it something dark and rich and robust and uh knock them out with a really fantastic manhattan yeah. or uh or uh, i mean if you're if you're going the other direction and you're doing clear spirits uh, the best martini you've ever made kind of for thing. sure and for sure yeah and bourbon's a great utility player and they, like i feel like everything on this table right now could play some sort of role in what you just described Mm -hmm. Um, So having multiple bourbons, like if you're, you know, if you've listened to what we've said so far, if you haven't already tuned out, (laughs) um, then, uh, you know, probably what's going through your mind is like, all right, like, you know, maybe I want to start hitting some of these various different kind of price points and quality points and and using them differently in my cocktail experiences. Um, So I'll be honest, smelling this Elijah Craig small batch is way different than any of the two that we've tasted so far. Like, and I'll go ahead and say, like, way better. Yeah. Not that those two weren't bad at all. They were perfectly pleasant. But this is, I, what, do you, yeah. what do you get? So uh, here I do, I do get cherry on the nose with Elijah Craig's small batch. Is cherry common for bourbon? Because I, don't, I, I never hear it bandied about. No, nah, I, think, I think it is. And this is something about my palate that I know is I think that I perceive cherry more often than most people so uh, that's a piece of my palate that is either extra strong and i pick it up when it's there and people other people don't notice it or i imagine it when it's not there one of the two but i get it a lot and some of my favorite bourbons uh, including elijah craig small batch uh, have uh, strong hints of, of cherry. One one bottle that I wasn't able to pick up before this that is one of my go-to $30 bottle bottles is uh, Henry McKenna 10-year bottled and bond. And it was the first bourbon that I had where I poured a glass and the first thing that hit me was just dark cherry notes. And I was just like, this is, this is great. This is one of my favorite... To this day, it's one of my favorite bottles, and it's thirty dollars. Yeah, like it's I, it's great. I and you, it's readily available. It's it's one of those bottles that you can find, I think, in all forty-eight state, lower forty-eight, and I mean, not maybe not in every liquor store, but it, it should be there somewhere. And it's just a good, robust, again, great, great for cocktails, um, but also just really great for sipping. Um, I almost get a little bit of floral notes on the nose as well. I don't know if I, I'm, I'm not great at identifying floral scents. And floral scents, to be fair, are not super common in yeah. like bourbon. It's not going to be usually the first thing you pick up on no. a bourbon in the same way it might be with a gin or like a tequila or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, usually they're much more subtle, and usually they're, usually they're fleeting. Usually right. you, you get them right there at the top end, and and maybe when you drop that bo- that little tiny eyedropper of uh, worth of water in, sure. you, you kind of pick up on it. If you open this up a little bit, I guarantee you smell more of it. Mm-hmm. I say I get, open up, meaning add water or right. an ice cube or something like that. Yeah, I get uh, corn. Yeah. Yeah. No. no yep. Yeah. The the corn sweetness. Corn. Yeah. I don't really get corn bread, uh, which is something that you sometimes mm-hmm. pick up. Is kind of that like. Uh, yeah, just cornbread. I mean, I I was gonna try to go into more detail. But yeah, no, had it's cornbread, pretty accurate. You know? <laughs> but but it's no, a, you it's do a you toasted. Do, it's a little you, bit more toasted than the yeah, corn. No. Yeah, no, you get you do you get kind of a, a raw corn. 
which is great. I mean, then, then that's like the, like, I feel like right now everything's starting to open up. It's, it was warming up outside and I'm starting to dream about those fresh vegetables and fruits that are coming in like about a month, another month or two. So like that, that note of corn actually just like really enticed me. You still get a decent amount of spice, but not this same, not nearly as upfront as, um, the larceny. Um, yeah, I, uh, Get a bit more of the booze. I'm I'm actually feeling the booze like appropriately more on this one. I feel like the larceny was hiding a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's true. I also think that we're on our third glass of whiskey. So uh. <laughs> we've, been, we've been we've been pretty modest about. <laughs> uh, I made sure that before we did this, I hydrated all afternoon. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, you're a better man than I am. Um, so we've hit kind of like a. We've got the the Manhattan. We've got a Boulevardier. Oh. I, so I've got one for this. I've actually got a, There are a couple of drinks that I really like to make with All this right. one, but hit, I'll, I'll hit us, one. hit us with um, one. For me, this is a this is a whiskey smash. Yes. Um, so that's so good, um, especially with the seasonal stuff we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah. So I'm not a uh, huge fan of a mint and julep, to be honest, uh, but I am of a whiskey smash. And essentially, a whiskey smash is a tarted up. Uh, mint julep. Uh, right. You're, it's you're it's like a mint julep and a whiskey sour ran yes. into one another. Yes, exactly. Um, so, uh, but Elijah Craig, 12-year-old bourbon is like the one that I have written down in one of my many cocktail notebooks that end up being almost useless because I can never find them when I'm looking for them. Um, but Elijah Craig for this and then also my, one of my go-to uh, old fashions is a is an Elijah Craig 12-year. Sure. Um but uh, yeah, whiskey smash is uh, half a lemon, uh, four mint leaves, uh, two ounces of bourbon, three quarters ounce simple syrup, mm-hmm. um, and uh, muddle the mint with the simple. Um, and squeeze and, the lemon and squeeze the lemon in. I like mm-hmm. to leave the rind of the lemon in as well. Some people will comment about um, in the shaker, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, in the shaker. So you're combining all that in a shaker, sh- adding ice, shaking that up really good, beating the crap out of it. Um, yeah. People will occasionally comment that they think that leaving it in uh, creates some extra bitterness. I good. Don't, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's true. Like I, I, I mean, if anybody who's licked a rind will know the bitterness you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Like it happens. Um, it's. I think if anything, it, but, it like it gets the oils in. But there, you know? but no. Like again, I, I I like I like the I like the added um, um, oils from the rind, and I I think that um, again, moving it as far away from the mint and julep with the sugar, the mint and the bourbon, the more lemon that's out there for me is, is, sure. is a good call. That's great. But you probably also like the South side cocktail, huh? I do. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's, <laughs> that's very similar. What's the, di- the difference is that the mint is not really as emphasized. Uh, you, you know what? You're going to, you've tested me and I'm not going to remember. I know. The, I don't, I don't know myself, of, but you um, know, th- this kind of goes to show that wherever there's like, if, if, if you come across a cocktail, you like folks, and this is, I was at an event last night at uh, McClintock Distilling, and there was a, a bartender there named Jeff who, who made this point. You know, if, if there's a cocktail you like, chances are there's three or four cocktails that sprout right off from it that are just different enough for you to you oh, know, yeah. kind of branch out and explore and just get something slightly different and, and, and exciting in that way. And chances are you probably don't have to buy all that many new ingredients to make them. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's 
I mean, that's something that we, we preached all the time on speaking easy was that once you have a baseline for a couple categorical cocktails, uh, slight modifications are the next 30 <laughs> or more. Right. Sometimes, <laughs> like, sometimes it's actually harder to find the name than to make the modification. Right. Right. Oh, so yeah. like, yeah. Oh, I just made you this whiskey or, Negroni. It's like, Oh, well yeah, that's a Boulevardier, but right, like, right. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I still don't think there's a, like a standard name for, uh, the Mezcal version of that. And, um, I'm glad that there's not cause I call it something new every time. Um, for sure. But, uh, yeah, you, you get that a lot where you hit a couple of variations that seem like common sense variations that don't really have the standardized, uh, uh, name about them. I, I'm a big fan of the Boulevardier. It's one of my favorite drinks. And, um, I really like to switch out the Campari for, uh, Chinar, uh, which is right. another, is that um, the old pal or uh, the, the man about town? Uh, that's the man about town. Man about town. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, like that drink, uh, I think even more. Um, uh, right, Chinar is a, a common replacement for any other bitter um, uh, in my in my repertoire. I, it's earthy and and Funk. vegetal yeah, and, vegetable. Um, and, and but anyway, we uh, going on a long tangent about something that's not bourbon. So maybe we yeah. pull it back. <laughs> Sounds good. So we've got two more. We've got so I think what we've got now is we've got the heavy hitters. Yeah, and uh, so we've got kind of the apex well probably not the apex i'm sure it's not the apex in fact i'm sure four <laughs> roses has a ton of small and they, cask projects they, they do they so the step above the four roses single barrel is kind of their single barrel distiller select mm -hmm. uh, so they have they have and I don't, I don't remember if they actually do anything. That's the one, the distiller, literally, he sleeps in the same bed with, like, he puts the barrel <laughs> in his bed. <laughs> he, it's basically <laughs> that. He's picking, like, a couple <laughs> barrels a year and saying, these are, these are my barrels. Yeah. And yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can only get that stuff at, at the distillery or sure. maybe a small radius outside the distillery. But, um, so my experience getting this bottle, I'll tell you, um, I picked this up at our common liquor store. The nice thing about this podcast is I literally just had to walk out my door and, and go a few blocks. So we, we share a liquor store yes, geography. We and we both know the the glory that is Schneider's of Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of some of the, the idiosyncrasies there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a really great establishment. And, and they actually uh, were able to, when, when the, you know, the rep came in with this barrel, they actually got to pick, you know, which barrel. They had a choice between several and they picked this one specifically for their store. So I think that's kind of a cool little story, uh, you know, just a little added, um, you know, aspect of the story that, that really drew me in they had it on sale and so i was like well yeah it's kind of cool and i trust the brand so uh let's do this and uh like i said it's this is this is basically our bottled and bond on the table yeah it, it doesn't say it on the label but it's 50 percent yeah um <clears throat> again another one that i i like quite a bit i've got a couple bottles tucked away somewhere um is it uh is it weeded? And so I know this it's is very light on the nose. It is really light on the nose. And I know it's thirty-five percent rye because it says that on the barrel or on the bottle. Um it says that it was aged nine years and one month. Um I would be really surprised if it doesn't have uh five percent. 
weed in it, but I don't know that. Ugh, I made the mistake of reading the little card that was attached oh. to it, and it had all the tasting notes on it. Did it? Did it tell you what, if there's weed in it or not? No, it didn't say anything about the mash bill, but now I'm oh. irritated because the tasting notes are kind of... Oh, okay. They're not good tasting notes. Okay. It's just well. all like sweet, it's honey, maple. Yeah. I don't really appreciate those kind of tasting notes because it's just different variations of sweetness. Like if you pick one up organically, mm-hmm. I like it. But if when if somebody's like, yeah, so you'll taste like the honey and the maple, it's like you just kind of said like two versions of the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is actually something too that um, I think is very noticeable in a lot of, and I'm sorry, I'm stepping away from the microphone too much. Um, I think that is uh, noticeable in uh, some of these single barrels from Four Roses is you actually get, and I actually haven't tasted this one yet, so I might be speaking out of turn, but uh, you actually taste the oakiness. Um, I, I get I get barrel um, more out of these single barrel projects often than, than I do with some of the blends, and I don't know if that's a... I, I don't get know a little bit of cedar on the nose now that you say that. Cedar hmm. being kind of the presence of the resin in the wood. Hmm. Not that there's a lot of resin in oak, but it's, you know, it's, so it's tannins and, yeah. you know, there, there's chemicals in there that I'm not qualified to identify. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that I would have been able to peg cedar, but there's a recognizable flavor that I recognize as um, oak barrel. Um, sure. Uh, that, that's definitely there. Um, On the palate, to me, this is so far the best of the four that we've, that we've had. Oh, I'd, subjectively. I I don't disagree with you. I and this is one where I would tell you uh, we're going to talk about cocktails on it. Um yeah. <laughs> I would I would tell you don't. Um diminishing returns for sure. Yeah. There's one I do want to hit before we go. I won't I won't say what it is yet. Maybe we'll wait for the um for the the cast strength and and then we'll we'll drop it. I think that might be a better one, but mm-hmm. um talk about why one might not want to make a cocktail. Um, because you can make an equally good cocktail with a quality whiskey that's cheaper. Um, that's usually my, my, the calculus that's in my head. Right. Um, this is one that, this is a whiskey that I, I think has enough complexity and nuance in it that it's enjoyable to drink, um, and, and to study, um, on its own. If you've ever, um, made a delicious meal for someone and then they squirted ketchup all over it. Right. That feeling is the feeling that the distiller would get watching you make a cocktail with right. something as special as this. Right. And I and to be honest, I um I don't like those sorts of distinctions. Uh, I I have preferences because again, I have enough whiskey to have significant preferences on which whiskeys I'm using for what and this is one of those bottles that I'd prefer to sip because I have other options, that sort of thing. But if what you wanted was to make a cocktail out of this, I would, again, you want to, you want to, I do think that you don't want to hide, you don't want to hide the whiskey. So you don't want, you don't want to add in something super bitter, like a Campari or a Chinar or anything like that. I also don't think that you want to add, I also don't think you want to add uh, any citrus to it. Uh, if, if you do, it's got to be light and it's got to be almost garnish. Um, yeah. and this might so, just be the best old fashioned that so, you ever had. So an excellent old fashioned, um, is, is one, uh, I, yeah, I'd really be hard pressed to go beyond that, but you could make, 
you can make a a pretty intriguing Manhattan out of this as well. Um, You could also, there's something called a a Louisville cocktail, uh, uh, Louisville for those of you who don't know how to read, but, um, Louis Billy, um, for those of you who <laughs> aren't from here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that is, uh, I, if I remember right, it's two parts, uh, bourbon, um, a half, I think it's a half part. So four um, parts bourbon, one part. Uh, yeah. So yeah, four parts bourbon. So two ounces bourbon, yeah, two or, uh, exactly. half ounce, Half ounce of um, Lily, uh, uh, Lily Rouge and uh, a half ounce of uh, Lily Blanc. Okay, um, so it's almost like the perfect Manhattan's kind of yeah. French cousin. Yeah, it's like the perfect Manhattan's. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Yeah. So we've got. Uh, yeah. So you're at the end. You've got that's so funny because that's so funny because. I, I always forget about the perfect Manhattan. I forget that it's out there. I forget that people put dry vermouth in a Manhattan ever. But yes, you're right. <laughs> it's actually been something I've been getting more into, especially with our heritage collection of, of bitters, because there's some stuff like the uh, the liquid gold ancient trade bitters yeah. that are so kind of crazy. And they, they have such obvious applications with clear spirits. But when I want to put it in a boozy cocktail with a dark spirit... I need the little bit of dryness and acidity that's in Mm. that dry vermouth to help just kind of even things out a little bit. So it actually makes a really great dry bourbon Manhattan with the liquid gold. Um, So that's where we're going to be putting recipes up for that soon on the website. But it's uh, nice. I've actually, out of the the early bottles that you gave me the when it comes to the dry vermouth side i've i've really enjoyed the the japanese bitters mm. i've been playing with dry vermouth in the japanese for uh the ike yeah, yeah. the ike japanese bitters oh those i so i i'm just thinking about uh i mean lilay is not exactly vermouth but it's close enough and right um uh, so when we're talking about that, uh, that's well, that's what came to mind. But. Cool. And folks, we're gonna put all of these recipes, you know, from the Manhattan to the Boulevardier to, you know, the uh, Louisville cocktail, the whiskey smash, and all these things that we're mentioning. We'll have recipes for these on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. Um, but I think now it's time to tackle this bad boy. Yep. Uh, so we've got the Maker's Mark cask strength and. You know, I just I saw the makers on the on the table, and you know, when I walked in, I was happy. I was like, "Oh, good, we've got a weeded." You know, I was like happy to have the weeded bourbons represented. And then I turned it around and saw the cask strength, and I was like, "Oh, snap!" Well, it's still weeded. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you tell us anything about the the makers' yeah. cask strength? Yeah. So, uh, it it is exactly as it sounds. Um, it is the same makers' mark recipe that. Um, you probably know, uh, and, uh, but instead of, uh, excuse me, instead of cutting it down, uh, in proof, they, they pour it out of the cask. Uh, this one is 111.6 proof. Um, so you're getting what it comes out of, it's actually, of the barrel at. I mean, yeah, it's, it's exactly what it comes out of the barrel. Uh, they, I don't think they do any cutting whatsoever. Usually that's what, I mean, again, I don't think cast strength is regulated that closely and they might 
if anybody does anything, what they're doing is adding water to smooth the flavor just a little bit. But I don't know that they even do that with this. Um, right. And um, you do see, and I, I don't know if this is actually handwritten but, on the label because the, the writing is very, very neat. So they I, might just have a really excellent stamp, but they, at the very yeah. least, give the illusion well, of... You know, I, th- I, I think it... I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not, but... Um, I think it might be. I think, it, I think, but anyway, it, so, but cast strength is also one of those terms. It's often like Navy strength is to rum where it just means high proof, but it doesn't mean a specific high proof. Um, right. I mean this, this also, yeah. Um, so this is coming out of a barrel. So it's also like kind of by default, uh, uh, a single barrel, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, cast strength. I have got cast strength in the house. That's like 136 proof. Um, right. It's, they, so it depends. So it can it can go. I again. Usually it's over 110. I don't think it comes out of the barrel really less than that very often. Um, but uh, and for me, this is this is a great lesson in in kind of uh, the high proof versus low proof and flavor versus uh, less flavor kind of thing is there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of decisions that go into what proof a distiller decides to bottle at and a lot of times it has to do with inventory and supply and these things but it also has to do with uh, we mentioned consistency Um, it oftentimes plays into a consistency of flavor or or a particular flavor that they're trying to reach or match and they they do so by um by cutting the proof um and what i would say though is if you have a really really tasty complex high proof whiskey that you just you can't do the proof on you just for whatever reason you don't like it that high proof or you don't want it that high proof versus a whiskey that is less has less complexity has less nuance has less flavor uh, but is the right proof for you Uh, my my biggest my best recommendation is take that distilled water and and cut it um because because what you're you're not going to lose you're going to soften it. It's going to open up a little bit more, but you're not going to lose those those layers of flavor. Yeah, those, you're going to get what you want, but then you're not going to like destroy what the distiller uh, intended. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're going to you're going to get you're going to get the flavor that was meant to come out of that bottle. Um and you're not and and you can do so with without without going to something less. Um and so a lot of people I mean, you, you see a lot of people bully people when they see a nice whiskey um, with water added. Um, I sit at, again, I sit at Jack Rose all the time, and they, I always ask for the little uh, eyedropper bottle, um, whether sure. I use it or not. And uh, you'll have a knucklehead or two that are like, oh, you're drinking it with water. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> and I, I th- you shouldn't feel bad about that. I mean... I don't tend to, when I'm tasting things for tasting notes or to, to work on my palate or to pull stuff apart, I don't tend to put things on ice. Um, I like them uh, more or less at room temperature, but sure. 
That, and that's but, partially controlling for variables, yeah, right? Yeah, ice, yeah. ice is a variable, just like alcohol yeah. can burn your can burn your nose. The, qu- and the quality of the ice, the temperature of the ice, all of those things um, play into it. I also have just gotten very used to not drinking it with ice, and so I don't. Um, but drinking it with ice is not wrong. Um, nobody should feel like they're doing something wrong by drinking uh, whiskey on ice. Uh, that's I I personally I would prefer that you know the ice is very clean clear ice sure. and not adding limestone or 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 uh whatever flavors to to your whiskey but yeah my favorite no. is just on one single large rock so it dilutes slowly and yeah. i can sip it at my my own pace so for one again i have a couple of bottles here that are really high proof stuff and i i drink those either super super slowly or i put them on a rock and over time they they soften and sure. and and I can drink them at a more reasonable pace. And again, I there's no wrong there's no wrong way there. It's, it's all preference. Uh, people will tell you you're doing it wrong, but as long as you're enjoying it, it's it's all right. Yeah, it's it, the interesting thing until thing you put ketchup on your steak, though. Yeah, so well, they're, they're, they're. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you, the nice thing about cocktailing is that it's an individual sport and also a team sport. You yeah, know, like it, you know, when it when it's convenient, it is is both types of sports, yeah. and you know the joy is sharing it. But uh, you know, the actual work gets done when you're mm-hmm. making cocktails on your own, like you know, mm-hmm. uh, experimenting. So let's talk about this cast strength. So we got a weeded bourbon here. In general, mm-hmm. what does one get from a weeded bourbon that might be different than a high rye bourbon? So the two things about this one in particular. This is this is not only weeded, but it is has no rye. Um, uh, the the origins of makers were basically that there was all this bourbon with with the heavy heavy rye notes in it, and uh, the distiller was like, "I don't, I don't want that. I want, I want something completely different." So he he took all the rye out, replaced it with wheat. Um, you tend to get more sweetness. I, again, it's either more sweetness or the absence of the spice that you notice. Um, it, it doesn't have the the rye bread characteristics. It doesn't have uh, most of the time it doesn't have the baking spice notes um and and you pick up again you you pick up um i think more honeys sometimes maple syrup sure um I get so, a little bit of hay sometimes so it's weird like so, you actually taste the weed in there yeah yeah no but you you get you get hay you get sometimes you, you mentioned floral earlier um because it's lighter and it's flavoring on the nose sometimes you get you get more floral um and this is going to sound stupid and pretentious because it is but like with a weeded bourbon this is you know at the the most elite level of giving tasting notes this is the difference between an orange blossom honey and a tupelo honey mm-hmm. and it sounds absurd and i hope that everybody listening <laughs> i don't, I don't even know the distinctions that. between those honeys but i just know that the the analogy you drew is probably right right yeah. and, and i hope that people do recognize that as absurd because like that's that, that's not the point but yeah. you know for people who actually you know people like your mom who actually yeah. do you know get so intimate with it like these are the distinctions that they're drawing and they're drawing them so that you don't necessarily have to mm-hmm. you know and yeah. it, so that you can just enjoy it so yeah. for this I'll, I'll tell people what i did so i saw the super high proof 
and I was you know drinking out of one of the more Glencairn glass with the tulip and I was like nah I'm gonna fry my nose because my nose is really big <laughs> and there's a lot of smell receptors in there and so I was like if I stick my nose in there I'm just gonna burn my nose hairs off so I transferred it to this you know more like a traditional rocks glass and when I when I hold it up to my face and I take a nice you know deep breath in the way that you construct it with the mouth open I, I get lots of flavor, but I don't get alcohol. But when I leave my eyes open above it, the alcohol vapors burn my eyes, <laughs> which is like a really bizarre thing to like not be able to smell it, but it's like they're radiating off the yeah. bourbon. Um, and then you definitely get it on the palate. So why don't you take mm. us through what we get on the palate with so this? I think, I think the big distinctions here are, again, uh, a real absence of, of most of the spice notes. There's still spice there, but... Um, it's mostly alcohol burn. Like, if, if you let the burn wear off... But what I... I do think you get... I mentioned burnt sugars. Um, I think that... I think that there's a lot more caramel. I think there's a lot more... Um, honey. Uh, honey is a, a weird one. It's one that, uh, for me, just kind of denotes, like, base-level sweetness. Um, it's, sure. like an, it's like an off-dry wine. Uh, where there's right. no sugar added, but you get the inherent sweetness of of the corn or or um, some other ingredient in For it. For sure, um, i i get I get notes of of, of char and of of toasted oak. Um, so um, and even a little bit of like you get like a a wheat bread toast yeah. um kind of yep. like uh you left it in the toaster it gets a little bit of char mm-hmm. so it's uh got that carbon in there um that's what I, I i get a lot of that i get um like a whole wheat toast uh in this um see i'm getting a lot of lighter notes i'm getting like some like almost like a lemon zest and okay. um definitely honey as well i think honey is like like there for sure it's it's actually surprisingly sweet to Mm -hmm. me for the proof that it is um it's also very dark and it's one of the dark it's probably the darkest on the table yeah it's uh, um but uh but yeah it's weird that i'm getting the very light notes and you're getting the the darker ones yeah um no but there's there's definitely that so another thing that i notice in this is um it's not you don't get or I don't get biscuits. Um, you'll, you'll hear biscuits is something mm-hmm. that gets mentioned. You don't get biscuits. There is, again, there is a little, to me, there's just a, a little bit of uh, butteriness. Um, sure. Uh, not a ton. It's not dairy butteriness. It's that, that, that oily, like fatty butteriness. Oh, um, that's such a weird um, distinction that um, we won't get into here, but it's like, it's a really cool distinction um, to draw. Well, it's a, it's an important distinction to draw. Um, uh, I will, I will just say that it's a it's a flavor that I've noticed before when you get and you won't find this in big producers. There's not a bottle that we have on the table. Um I can only think of one bottle in my collection at the moment, maybe two that could even possibly have it, but a a strong dairy note that that note of uh, it's a it's, sometimes it just comes across as sweetness and you don't identify it as dairy right away, but mm-hmm. a sweetness, a dairy, um, it, it means that there's something wrong in the distillation. Um, I'll just go, I'll say that much. <laughs> well, that's good, that's um, a good little, little tip um, for people. Um, you're, you're again, you're not gonna find it in one of these big producers, like they, they take care of business, it's not gonna go wrong there. Some of the smaller places, um, uh, it's 
it's an imperfection in in the distilling, but um, but but there is butteriness that comes from again. There's a chemical compound that I should remember now because I've heard my mom or somebody else mention it multiple times. But the same thing with like the rye bread. There's a chemical compound that gives you that rye bread flavor. Just like there's um, esters in yeah. rum and you know. Yeah, but uh, but there's there, there, there's there's one that really denotes that 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 fatty butter butter flavor mm-hmm. um that that i'm i taste in this and yeah, again it's, it's 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 subtle it's uh, you definitely taste it more in other other bourbons. i actually get it on the finish yeah yeah it's almost like i like if you've ever had buttered toast like yeah. nice dark buttered toast you take a bite of that and it's like the aftertaste of that slightly on the finish yep that's pretty cool uh what, one thing that does surprise me is that it didn't like bite my face off at a significantly higher proof. And I think part of that is the weededness um, and, you know, not having that spicy rye in there, but uh, and it's got, it's got a decent, I don't remember what this is aged to. And it doesn't say. Yeah, it doesn't say, um, but also age. Age can do really wonderful things to sure. to to edge off a lot of that proof. Again, I've I've had a very secret bottle of twenty five year old bourbon that was one hundred and fifty proof. And when they asked me to to guess the proof, I I said one fifteen. And Again, you're talk- at one fifteen. You're talking about a pretty high proof yeah, whiskey, yeah. but sure. significantly different than one 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 fifty. One fifty is seventy five percent alcohol. Yeah, that's that's, and it was it was delicious. Um, it's also not available for commercial consumption, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, per- perks of being Jordan. No, yeah, that one came through, uh, and and that was uh, there's there's a mystery. Um, person in that because it didn't come from my mom um but uh <laughs> or my or my brother-in-law uh, uh i guess that's a for full disclosure i guess that's a good um thing to mention too um we have maker's mark on the table my uh my brother-in-law is now a chef in residence at maker's mark oh nice uh, so uh uh, it's given me reason to revisit makers uh, as as something that I keep, and again, I I choose the cast strength when I do. Oh, um, definitely. I also like Makers Forty Six a decent amount. They, it's basically it's bourbon, and then they again in, in one of these, the the one loophole ish thing with straight bourbon uh, and straight whiskey, is you can't add any flavors. You can't add anything that doesn't come from the barrel. But one again, bourbon once it's aged in a new charred oak barrel is, 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 is bourbon. And then, um, and I don't think that 46 is even marketed as a straight bourbon. I don't um, think it is either. Um, and it might not even be marketed as a bourbon. Um, I can't remember. Um, but, uh, you see finishes, um, uh, sherry cask finishes, uh, Madeira cask finishes, uh, port cask finishes, that sort of thing. Um, and and those somehow because they've been aged in a new charred oak barrel or whatever they they then finish them in one of these other barrels to add other flavor notes um and they still they still qualify as bourbon right i think they still can qualify as straight but i'm not sure about that um 
I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but uh, so that that's another thing that you see a lot is is these finished cat these finished bourbons. Um, and uh, again, that's just a taster's choice. Um, I'm not a huge fan of sherry cask finishes. There there are a few out there that I've tasted that I've been like, yeah, okay. But I'd still go back to regular bourbon. Um, yeah, and that that's a whole other episode. But it's but, another like another fascinating aspect of the blending and yeah. the finishing process. Yeah. And it's actually a great way for new distilleries to actually put their fingerprints on something, yeah. well, which is what we talked about earlier yeah, in the episode. Like, well, yeah, absolutely. When you when you're a young distillery and you're sourcing whiskey, and what you want to be known for is your whiskey, one way to put your fingerprints on the stuff that you're not producing is the buy a barrel and do some interesting blending and all that stuff. Right. And yeah. So, so there, there are some admirable, uh, traits to it. Or you but, just get um, really good at picking barrels like, uh, like will it does. And so single barrel projects every, every day. Yeah. We don't have any will on the table, but will yeah. is a really good, really, really good bourbon. Yeah. And, and again, most of their, especially all their, all their heavily aged stuff is, is, is barrels they bought from someone else. Um, and then, uh, they've, I know they've started producing their own rye. They're two and four year, and I want to say they have a, a a younger bourbon out now too. Yes, yeah. but well, so that was a pretty good rundown of cocktails. Um, and uh, we'll put everything up on the show notes. I'll take a, I'll snap a pic of these bourbons. But I have you've already done the lightning round, so I've only got a couple of questions for you. All right, one is books on bourbon. What do we go? All right, so. My go-to because it's not too long, um, and does a great job of going through uh, the history and the decent enough detail is uh, Michael Veach's uh, Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey and American Heritage. Did you happen to interview him? We did. Uh, we actually we did a series of bourbon-related um, podcasts last. Um, September because that's Bourbon Heritage Month, right? And we we interviewed him, uh, yeah, last year as one of those. Um, that was a killer interview, and uh, we're definitely going to link to all of those that, podcasts. That was, that was great. Um, yeah, he, he he has that book. I have a, a fun little like uh, touristy Kentucky bourbon cocktail book that gives you a lot of good ideas. Is actually where I found the Louisville cocktail, um, and then. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Fred Minnick has uh, Bourbon Curious, mm-hmm. another excellent book. I think that between that book, Bourbon Curious, and Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey um, and American Heritage by Veach, you cover your bases pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll snap a pic since we've actually got the physical books here. I'll snap a picture. We'll we'll put those in the show notes. Links to the Amazon links and uh, yeah, so you'll be you'll be set up on books. And then we got a new lightning round question. All right, and uh, that is if uh, if you were a cocktail tool or ingredient, what would you be? Ooh, that's actually one that I remember reading on the list of questions that you gave me ahead of time that. I didn't think about right. It shows but, that it shows that we are more but, organized than it seems like we are. Sometimes. But uh, but I think very quickly. I'd have to say can't that be bourbon. No, no, I, I'm not gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with a piece of hardware. Um, I, and I'm gonna have to say it's a. Yeah, I'm I'm a shaker, like nice. Uh, and 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 the why is just that, um. 
it's like the most utilitarian piece of equipment that uh that you have on the bar i i mean i guess there are arguments for other things but uh i'm i'm, I'm certainly not as delicate as a mixing glass and uh and nor, nor I, I, as and, transparent and, and, there, and, there are that, layers upon yeah, layers yeah. And I, and I'm not, I'm not so intimidating to be a muddler. Um, so, um, I, I, I like to be useful and, uh, and they also tend to be like the dirtiest piece of equipment <laughs> at the end of the night. <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe there's something to that too. I like to get my hands dirty. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think shaker is uh, the right answer there. Yeah, I mean, the shaker is like the, tr- the Calvin and Hobbes transmogrifier of the <laughs> cocktail world, right? Like, You're using words I don't understand. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's literally like things go in and then they come out all yeah. different, right? right it's right, like it's, yeah. it's, uh, now you see it, now you yeah. don't. Now you see it again and it's different. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful little piece of equipment. So that's yeah. a really cool answer. Yeah. Um, all right. We've beat the hell out of bourbon. Yeah, uh, it is. I talked your ear off. I, I think we, I think we actually stood up rather well. I don't think it beat the hell out of us, despite what we did. Um, but if anybody wants to check out the Speaking Easy podcast, or uh, you know, possibly digitally connect with you, where do they go on the interwebs? <sighs> uh, so that's gotten significantly more limited uh, since we're not as active as we used to be. Uh, I occasionally check. The website, that's probably actually the best uh, option. It's uh, speakingeasypodcast.com. We have a, a contact link there. Um, I, what I'd say is if you've been trying to contact us on Twitter, uh, good luck. Um, it's not going to happen, uh, so I won't even give you that one. And uh, to be honest, the, the Instagram has been fairly inactive recently as well. Um, it is at speakingeasypodcast. Um uh, maybe I'll check in in the next couple of weeks. So, um, but really, yeah, really, it's come down to uh, the website. I, I do, uh, I do check that um, regular, not regularly, but every every couple of weeks or so now. And uh, we have not put up new content there uh, since the end of last year. Um, maybe, maybe some of that changes in the near future. I'm not going to tease anything that I'm not willing to follow up on, sure. but, uh, but there's a lot of content there, right? So it's, oh, yeah. a, it's, it's a great resource and that's the, so, I mean, that's so, the thing that you're underselling completely yeah, yeah, right so, now. So yes, the website does have, um, show notes for all 106 episodes. Um, some are better than others, but they're all there. Um, we have a few articles, um, probably a dozen or, or so on different aspects of cocktail and drinking culture. Um, we list, um, uh, some of our favorite cocktail bars in DC. So if you're local, uh, that's great. Um, there's, it certainly could use a little bit of updating, but for, for the most part, they're, st- uh, st- steadies for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we uh, it's mostly it's mostly show notes and then a few of our good ideas and a few recipes. Um, right. Speakingeasypodcast.com yep. and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those places where you go to listen yep. to podcasts, yep. well, you can find the Speaking Easy podcast. It's actually easier to find the Modern Bar Cart podcast. So, oh, there we go. Yeah, you got you've got the iTunes reviews uh, going strong. So, yeah. if you're out there and you're listening to this, help me out. Yeah, guys, and, uh, uh, if, it, it, he's, he's putting on a free show for you, and if you're enjoying it, uh, the least you can do is uh, go 
go rate him on iTunes because you don't understand. It's all part of that big data scheme. Like it matters. Uh, he gets m more notice if if you guys who appreciate him uh, go and give him a rating on on iTunes. Uh, so please go do that. Amen. And uh, why don't we? Uh, why don't should we do? The little little gesture to the speaking easy right now. You want to do a toast? I want to do a toast. All right, let's do it. So this is a this is a hallmark of the speaking easy podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm going to. Why don't we do the uh, here? Let's do the single. All right. Um, I'll do a little yeah, little just splash a, just of the splash. Single. Just a splash of the single. Yeah, that's fine. That, that wasn't even a splash. Um, so one of the hallmarks of the speaking easy podcast, of course, was, and this is, this was mostly an Alex Luboff thing because he had a book full of so, toasts. Yeah. So he, he has a book full of toasts, which he loves and they're long and poetic. And, uh, like the, the hallmark of, uh, of, of the speaking easy podcast was, um, I mean, it was a, it was a story of before the podcast was ever even conceived, uh, me and, uh, a former, uh, romantic interest drinking buddy uh started toasting to being a better drinker a, a while ago so to being a better drinker was kind of our our end of the show tagline uh hallmark uh and and so that's that's been that's been a to that that'll that, that toast will probably stick with me uh uh for uh, forever um because i like it it's it's sitting at a bar with good friends or whatever and and saying uh here's to exploring uh what's new and better than we, the day we had before or what we had before. So, all right, um, well, I'll be your Alex Luboff then. All right. And this is going to be pretty cringeworthy, but it's actually fairly topical because it's been raining here in DC for the past like three days, nonstop. Yeah. Uh, building an arc out back. Yeah. It's, it's not good. <laughs> uh, luckily we're on what's called the quote unquote Capitol Hill. Yeah. There's a, there's a small uh, incline. Yeah. But uh, so in, in honor of the rain and in honor of the bourbon episode, I, I will quote a, a popular tacky country song oh, and, and say that uh, rain makes corn and corn makes whiskey and whiskey makes my baby, I believe, feel kind of frisky. <laughs> so, so cheers to whatever to, whatever happens there. I don't know that song. I'm going to have to <laughs> look that up. Um, and uh I'm certainly no Alex Luboff, so here's to being a better drinker. To being a better drinker. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out 
for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, an excellent bourbon library courtesy of Jordan Wicker, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2018.